All right, good morning, everybody. How we doing? All right, awesome, sweaty, yeah. It's a nice balmy 60-something right now, isn't it? Fantastic. The past two nights, I've had my air conditioner on. It's been great here in November. I never took it out, guys. I'm, I'm, I let it ride all year long, right? I don't care what time of year it is. I might run that thing in January. <laughs> so it's so awesome to have all of you here this morning on this great November weekend. Hey, a little clouds aren't going to put us down. If you're like me and wondering, why are you so hyped? It's because I had an extra hour of sleep last night, man. That was fantastic, right? And what did I do with it? I stayed up. <laughs> so I think, but I feel a little more refreshed because my body thinks, hey, it's just like 11 o'clock right now. We should be rolling, right? So I'm feeling good. Hopefully you guys are too. So good to have all of you here this morning. If you are new here, first or second time, we want to formally welcome you. Miss Dawn in the back, she's got special gifts for everybody. Uh, make sure you see here before you leave. If you're new online, make sure you let us know you're new there too. We want to welcome you with a free ebook there too. So don't miss out on that. And make sure you're grabbing coffee and hot chocolate and all the things in the cafe if you're here in person. We want to make sure you get those. If you have kiddos, we'd love for them to be a part of the experience here as well, upstairs or downstairs. All right, some of my kids are upstairs with us today, which is unusual, but it's good. And we have some that are downstairs with Faith Kids. I have a great time each week down there. What a great job. I looked downstairs yesterday, and the team had done such a fantastic job decorating a superhero theme this month. And uh, it was just so, so good to see all the great decorations up and all the hard work that goes into making it a good experience for the kids. Something memorable, something that they feel like they're cherished and loved because they are. And uh, we're so glad that you allow us to, uh, to be able to serve and love on them week after week. And I uh, thank the decor team. They do such a fantastic job job every month. Uh, speaking of that, last week was Upside Down Sunday, so we got a little bit of flavor of that, right? So those who were here, everybody had a good time with Upside Down Church, right? I thought it was great, man. I was loving it, right? We lifted weights, we did ropes, we did a whole bunch of stuff going on. I got to take some great photos. It was all so good. Uh, and so I want to thank again the Faith Kids team for making that possible. We'll show a special video next week that we showed at the end of the, of the experience last week that kind of encapsulates uh, how, we much, how much we love our Faith Kids and the department there. So just be on the lookout for that next week but they always do such a great job. I'm so proud of them. Uh, other couple of things we have going on here at Faith that I want to highlight. One is Operation Christmas Child Letters. So if you were kind enough to take some of these home, we said for the past few weeks, please take these home, as many as you can possibly carry, to write out during the next couple of weeks and bring them back. Hopefully you're starting to bring them back now. I saw a few filter in, which is great. So uh, please feel free to grab more. They're down here in front of me. Take them anytime during the break or after, whatever the case is. Fill them out at home during the week and then bring them back. We have to get 75 of these letters. So we're going to fold them up and place them in each one of those boxes. And so what the kids are going to do when they open them, they're not only going to get great gifts, they're going to see you, right? I love Marin. Where's Marin at this morning? She's sneaking. She's in the back. All right. I love Marin. She came up to me. She, she gave me her or showed me her letter. She said, this was my attempt at drawing. And it was such a great drawing. I thought you did a fantastic job. I would have drawn a stick figure. So, I mean, I thought you did really well. Uh, but she was like, I think I'll just write out my description next time. But whatever you do, it's just great. Please just fill these out. We'd love for the kids to open these up and say, hey, man, there's someone named Marin, uh, I, you know, it, it, somewhere across the world. I might even be able to put it on a map, but that's okay. I know that she loves me enough to write something to me, uh, to give me this Christmas gift this year. So make sure that you're filling these out and bringing them back. Uh, involve your kids. Let them fill it out. We'd love for them all to be involved as you bless kids around the world this Christmas, all right? 
Uh, two other things we have going on that we want to highlight. One is Thanksgiving in a Box nominations. All right, so each year we try to bless uh, individuals in our community with a free Thanksgiving meal, all right? The full deal. Now, turkey, the sides, every desserts, pies, everything, all right? The whole thing. I don't care what size your family is. You could have nine people in your family like me. You could have two, whatever. All sizes are welcome to apply. What we encourage you to do as a church is we want you to find somebody in your friend or family circle, all right? And you may say, well, they don't want anything. They don't want any help. They don't want a free thing. All right, here's what I've learned in New England. Don't ask, just give it. All right, that's what I've learned in New England. Don't ask for any help. Just say, here, I'm giving this to you. And if you want it, take it. If you don't, pass it along to somebody else, but I'm going to give it to you. So think of someone in your friend and family circle that might be able to be blessed by a free Thanksgiving meal. The whole deal, a big turkey, not a small little skimpy little turkey. I'm talking the real deal, like the $100 turkeys, all right, this year, because that's how much they're costing. It's ridiculous. So we're giving the whole thing away. So as many families as we can, I don't care if it's five, 500, we'll find the funds to make it happen. Just nominate those families. All we need is a name, uh, a contact information, your contact information, not theirs, and then how many's in the family so we can start collecting for that. All right, so we only got a couple of weeks here before Thanksgiving, so get those nominations in. There's a sign-up sheet in the cafe. Make sure you're doing that during break. If you're online, you can sign up online. Go to faithchurchvt at gmail.com. Just send that email name, contact number, and the number of people in your household so we can get that correct amount of food to you, okay? Uh, so thank you for doing that. The very last thing we want to highlight is faith life goal submissions. So each month this year, I kind of fell off the wagon on this a little bit. No surprise, surprise. But maybe you didn't. We started doing faith life goals where we took one goal a month that we wanted to improve our mental, physical, emotional, spiritual selves, and we wanted to work on one small thing, and then we were going to post them on the door so that everybody would know, hey, we're working towards whatever our goals are. And so what we're going to do, this is the last month. This is November. We're wrapping this up. So if you haven't had a chance, fill them out. I think we might have ran out of index cards, but we'll find paper, do something and get it written out the next couple of weeks and work on that goal. And then when you're done, we're going to collect them all at the end of this month. And then we're going to do drawings for whoever, uh, for the top three. We're going to just pull names out of the jar and whoever the top three are, are going to get some awesome awesome prizes for this, all right? So all the things you've been working on, you're going to get rewarded for it too. So make sure you're doing that for this month, okay? Last thing we want to do is always offer the opportunity to two things. One, receive. So if you're in need in our community, we want to give back to you, okay? So make sure you let us know whatever your need is. Electri electric bill, gas coming up, that's going to be expensive and needed. So make sure you let us know that. Whatever you got going on, maybe some food insecurity that you could be uh, need some help with, we can help you where you are. Reach out to us. Go to faithchurchvt.com. Scroll to the bottom, get the contact info, find us there. We want to do our best. Can't promise the world, but I will do our best to be able to help you out where you're at, okay? If you would love to give. I know times are tough. I totally get it. Every month, it seems like the budget's shrinking and getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And so I would encourage you, though, to give sacrificially back out of that. One, because God says so. <laughs> and two, because what's going to happen when you do is he is going to use you as a conduit of blessing. So you're thinking, man, I can't give this month because I don't have enough. I'm saying you better give or you won't have enough. That's it. That's how that works, just so you know. All right, so if you, if you wonder, how, how does that work in your life, Pastor? I give 10% as a bottom line and then over and above to people during the month and organizations during the month. That's not because God says so. It's because I want to be obedient. I want to be sacrificially giving to the God who's giving every single thing to me. This is not mine, right? This becomes a, a difference when your mindset, when you're giving. It's like, this is mine. I got to hold on to it and keep it. I don't want to give it away. I have to meet it out carefully into a mode of stewardship, which says it's all God's and what he 
has charged me to do is give it away radically and then watch what he does as I do that. And it's amazing to see the transformation, not only in your life as you get free of the clinging and necessity of like, I got to hold on to all my money to saying, it's not mine. I'm going to give it away and watch what God does. That frees you up. Your whole budget changes, your whole life changes, the worries change, all that changes. You start to get on a mission mindset that says, man, God's going to bless somebody this month because I gave. That's what that's about. And so I encourage you to give uh, as, as God leads you to. You can do it physically here in person uh, by giving in baskets around the room, or you can give online. We do electronic giving because I don't have cash ever because I got kids, all right? So we give online, uh, faithchurchvt.com. There's a give button. It sets it up. You can even do automatic giving, which we do, so we don't have to worry about it. It's just taken out automatically. Anything to make it easier for you guys. Uh, so make sure you're doing that as well. Thank you for all that you've done, by the way, to give, because this church is doing fantastic this year, even with the tight budgets. It's been great, so thank you for giving. All right. So three weeks ago, we kicked off a series called Back to School. Everybody remember that? I know we had a week off from an upside-down church, but three weeks ago we did this. We said we're going to go back to school, and for those of you who are anxious over that, we said our focus is not going to be on math. Thank you, Jesus. It's not going to be on history or grammar or geology. It's going to be on theology. We're going to talk about who in the world is God? What is he? What is the Holy Spirit? Who are we in that respect? And who or what is Jesus? And so last week, again, we had Upside Down Church. Two weeks ago, we covered who the Holy Spirit is, and we covered God the first week. And this week, we get our next entry, and it's going to be all about Jesus, all about Jesus. So our goal here is going to be to discover or maybe hopefully rediscover who Jesus is, who, who or what that means to our lives. And uh, we mentioned here that part of that mission, or the bulk of our mission here at Faith, is life transformation. So that as we're looking into this, we're seeing that uh, God is changing us. He's transforming us as we look at his word, right? That's going to require us to be a little bit uncomfortable at times. It's going to require us to be pushed past our, our boundaries, our preferences, our preconceptions, to be challenged in how we've been brought up what we believe, right? Our experiences are all going to be pushed when we look at the word and see how it tells us what, who God is, who the Holy Spirit is, who Jesus is. Now, you would think when you're doing this, you're thinking, oh, man, we're going to talk about Jesus. This is easy, right? I know who Jesus is, right? This is super simple. You think would be uh, talking about him is not a problem at all, right? He's a literal man who walked on earth. We have historical evidence that this guy walked around. Surely we can all agree on who he is, right? It should be easy. But as history has shown us, that's far from the case, far, far from the case. You know, who he was and what he was attempting to accomplish has been a debated for centuries. And whether we realize it or not, those debates have influenced our opinion on who he is. We all carry this image of Jesus in our minds, right? And most of what we have in our minds have been constructed through movies or documentaries or uh, maybe our grandparents or parents or uh, pastors even, maybe things our friends have told us. All those things filter into our uh, minds and we're thinking, oh, I have an idea who Jesus actually is. But it's rarely formed, our opinion and our knowledge of him is rarely formed by actually reading the firsthand accounts for ourselves. So today... We're going to go to the firsthand accounts for ourselves to find out exactly who the Bible says Jesus is and who Jesus said he was and to find out exactly who he is today. But before we do that, I've got a question that we're all going to ask and answer of one another. And online, you're encouraged to engage as well as we go into the five-minute break. And the question is this. It should be a fun one. Can you recall an experience, positive or negative, with snakes? All right. Five-minute break. Positive or negative experience with snakes. 
take five. I want you to get up in front of the house, grab some coffee, talk to each other, say, hey, how you been? Love somebody in the morning, and make sure you're sharing that experience with one another. Then we're going to share it together as well online. Do that same thing. Let's meet back here in about four or five minutes. <clears throat> I'm going to sit down. You know, I can get your snake stories ready. Jaden's going to get me dialed in here on the camera. All right. Snake stories. Everybody's got a snake story, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. We're not going to be lack of story time since, today. Since I'm holding the mic, I think I'll go first. The thing I hate about snakes, everything. Everything. I never met a snake I liked. <laughs> All right. Who else wants to jump in on snake stories? Come on, here we go. We got two on this side. We'll work our way back this way. Okay, I'm coming around. I'm the opposite. I love snakes. Um, uh, any, any chance I could get, I, I hold them or try to catch them. But the one that really sticks out in my head is uh, in fourth grade, they brought an anaconda to school. Um, it was like this zoo thing that was doing a traveling tour. And it took 10 fourth graders to hold this thing up. Whoa. And I got to be one of the volunteers and like right next to the head. And it was just amazing to look at that creature that could swallow you alive. Right. And, yes. All four and of you. how gentle <laughs> and I don't, it was just amazing. Wow. Creation. Wow. Man. You're a better man than I. <laughs> uh, we have a snake family that lives, I don't know, behind or under our front steps really and so they play games like they like to scare you as you walk down the stairs um, but one time in the flower area next to the stairs I totally forgot about the snakes and I was doing garden work mm. and when they appeared it scared me and I threw my tools and somebody was driving by and stopped and wanted to know if everything was okay <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> Here we go. A couple more on this side. Who we got? <clears throat> Ms. Brenda's got one. Um, I had a sunny spot in our yard where I would sit and read and pray. And, um, you know, and I used to go out every single afternoon, take our, at that point, a puppy, let him play in the yard, and I would just sit there and enjoy that sunny spot. And behind me was a delivery of pellets and my husband was working a lot of overtime so he just couldn't seem to get to him when he had time it was raining so I would sit there and enjoy that sunny spot and read and my husband went to take the shrink wrap off and it was loaded with snakes wow he said at least 20 to 30 snakes were in there oh. and so you know I'm so glad I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? Oh, right there, Miss Jam, right behind him, Rich. Um, shortly after we first moved here, I had planted a beautiful perennial bed of just um, yellow and red tulips. And so they were up and in full bloom, and I was happily on my knees with my garden apron and my little hat, and I looked adorable. <laughs> and I was weeding, and then all of a sudden, uh, I was fairly new to Powell and was not used to seeing snakes. Mm. And there was one. Well, I levitated. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember, but by the time I came to my senses, I was in my neighbor's yard, which we call the North 40. <laughs> I, I was just gone. I don't know how I got there. But <laughs> 
All right. Anybody else? Good or bad snake stories? We've got a couple more back over here. Getting your, running, getting your exercise in this morning, Rich. That's good. <laughs> well, when I lived where um, John and Jen live, I was out raking with the garden raking the spring, and um, th- there was a shed behind a little drainage ditch. And all of a sudden, I lifted that rake up, raking the leaves that had fallen. And um, it was just like, I don't know if you call them stalactites or stalagmites, but they were just dripping right off of that, the bamboo rake the snakes were and like that. And when she talks about you know, a family under the front, well, she had major, huge family under the back by the shed. Wow. Under the tree. It was awful. Wow. Did you know that before you bought the house? <laughs> I might have changed my mind. All right. Anybody else? Those are great. Miss Dawn's got one. So, um, as a family, we used to go hiking pretty regularly, and we had a bunch of kids with us, and there was a snake that was just crawling along the side of the trail, and so my brother picked it up so that the kids could all have a chance to hold it, and I decided finally at one point that we'd been holding it enough and it needed to go back into its its home, and so I took the snake gently from the kids and put it back down on the ground, and all the kids were completely shocked that I was brave enough <laughs> to take care of the snake, and I'm terrified of mice. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Oh. So when I uh, was working at Grace, I didn't work the summers, and so my first day back, whenever I'd go back in, the place was in disarray because they're doing the floors, as Carrie knows now, and everything was up for grabs and so I thought they were playing a trick on me. I thought uh, there was a little fake snake up in the common area and I went down to like pick it up and like ha 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 and the snake was like ha 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 and it started moving but Sean did uh, get a stick and take it out for me. So Wow. How about that? Okay. Anybody oh, here up front? Miss Chris got one. As um, hiking we like to hike a lot and um, there's this one Monument Mountain in Great Barrington, I think, where Uncle Nick, taking the nieces and nephews, would always tell them that we were on a snake hunt because it's better than telling nine and ten year olds you're going on a hike. Um, but the snake hunt for them was so exciting and, and like they looked like they really didn't want to find a snake, but it was a lot of fun to call it a snake hunt. Okay. Yep. I'm not out of game with you, Nick. I'd be like, I'm good. I'd just not sip out on that. Anybody else? Those are great. Get answers. All right. Thank you, Rich, for doing that again this week. Appreciate that. All good stuff. Growing up in the South, I have a few snake stories. Um, I'll limit it to one. One I distinctly remember because my mom retells it like over and every time we're there. I'm like, I've heard this story a thousand times, but she keeps retelling it. But we lived out in the country. Uh, and by out in the country, I mean, there was the town where we grew up was pretty small, 5,000 or so. We lived about 20 minutes outside of town. And so there was like nobody around. And, uh, but I had lots of wildlife around. There was plenty of wildlife out near us. And one day, my stepdad, he was out uh, setting new fence poles on the property, right? And it was a typical Georgia hot day. And he was out there doing the typical fence post routine, right? He's pounding away the sand and the clay with a post hole digger. And then he bends down and he picks up a post and he sets it in the ground. And you go to the next one. You pound, pound, pound. And you just keep going one after the other after the other. Well, he keeps doing this for a while. And it gets to the middle of the day and it's really hot. And he's pounding the sand and the clay. And he reaches back down and he realizes that's not a fence post. That's a snake. 
It wasn't a six-foot post. It was a six-foot snake. It was a, a rattlesnake, to be precise, because we grew up in Georgia, because that's what we have, right? Uh, and it was, thankfully, no mistaking that, because that's what I love about rattlesnakes, is you can't wonder, like, oh, is this poison? No, that's a bad snake, right? <laughs> that's just a bad snake. Uh, and thankfully, he realized that before he reached down and grabbed it. But he also realized he was in a bind, right? Because here he is out in the yard and out by himself, nobody around, and he's pounding these posts, and he's got the fence up because he's working not just the post, but the actual, uh, you know, the, the barbed wire around or whatever he was using. And he's got this going, and he's like, oh, shoot, now I'm stuck. I got this six-foot snake, like, laying out in the, this side of me and the fence behind me. I can't go anywhere, so he's got to make a quick decision. And so thankfully, he does. He reaches around real quick. He grabs the post hole diggers, and he turns right around. And he starts digging a hole right on that snake's head, right, to kill this snake. And uh, it, he chopped, and he chopped, and he chopped, and just to make sure, he kept chopping again, just to make sure it was all dead. And finally, he gets it, and he walks off to collect himself a bit, you know, just thanking God that he had post hole diggers close by that he could actually do this. And so he comes back a few minutes later after he's taken a few deep breaths and uh, he decides, hey, I'm going to pick up this snake. I'm going to walk it to the house, right? Show off to the family because it's a big snake. And so uh, he's going to take it to the house, to the family. So he reaches down to pick it up and that thing starts twisting and coiling and doing all these things. And he's like, <gasps> he thought he grabbed the wrong end, right? <laughs> Thankfully, he didn't. He did chop off the head, but that snake kept curling around him. And so he finally collected himself again. And he takes it to the house, and he holds this thing up. And my stepdad was about my size, maybe a, maybe a little shorter, so 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, that snake was bigger than he was. He was holding this thing up, and it was just hanging down. I remember the rattlers on that, more rattlers than I've ever seen in a snake in, in real life uh, out in the wild. Uh, it was just remarkable. Uh, and I couldn't have been more than, shoot, I don't know, six or seven years old. That memory is ingrained in my mind of seeing this giant snake, right? Uh, and it's good that he did kill it uh, because, you know, that one, that size, some of my anacondas eating things, right? The rattlesnakes would do the same thing, right? One that size will start eating small pets. I think we lost a cat one time to a rattlesnake. Uh, and I preferred to play in a yard where I didn't have to worry about dying <laughs> and uh, my pet's not getting consumed, right? So it was really good that he killed that thing. But it was just one of those stories that just always is in my mind. And that image, and I think he kept the rattlers, by the way. He usually cut them off and he keep them as souvenirs. But I remember those things so long. It's just incredible, incredible. So the past two weeks in this back to, uh, back to school series where we talked about God and the Holy Spirit and now Jesus, we've started back at the beginning and so what does all this have to do with one another? Well, you start back at the beginning of Genesis in the Bible, you find, guess what? A snake story. <laughs> you find a snake story. So we're going to dive into that this morning and find out what in the world that has to do with anything we're talking about, right? So if you remember from the previous two weeks, we said that the biblical worldview begins with things that are disordered, right? Chaotic, that the world is all missed and mashed and it's all pieces, right? And what we see is God through his power and presence of the spirit ordering the universe into a place that is fit to thrive in, right? And after he creates it and everything in it, he creates this incredibly unique space called Eden. And it's this place, it's not just a beautiful garden. I think it gets kind of whitewashed in that respect. What it really was, was a place where the spiritual world and the material world overlap. All right, that's what Eden is. And he places his chief creation, humanity, in that space. And he begins to teach them how to live in a way they're going to flourish, right? As a part of that teaching, he puts two trees in the center. And he says, these are trees of testing, essentially. He says, all right, here's what you're going to do. You can do anything you want, anything you want, but you can't eat of this tree here, right? Now, things are going great. world's perfect. God and man living together is awesome until we get to the next scene. 
Genesis 3, 1 through 6. By the way, we got a lot of text today, so if you haven't read your Bible in a while, you're going to read all of it here in just a few minutes, all right? Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall, shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you'll surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight in the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And so she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate because guys are dumb. Anyway, so he kept doing that, right? They failed the test. They failed the test. But there's more here than bad decision-making, right? It's not like, God said not eat it. We just made a mistake. We ate it, even though we weren't supposed to. What they chose to do was willfully disobey God. Instead of trusting God's plan for their lives, they're going to take matters into their own hands, right? They decided to be the deciders, to choose for themselves what was right and not trust what God said was right. Now, we focus on this to help us make sense of what's wrong with us <laughs> and subsequently the world around us, and rightly so, right? We live out the consequences of that choice today as we're separated from God and all of us long for this place that we've never even seen. But we tend to downplay or outright ignore a key player in this whole scene, the snake. I believe one of the reasons we do that is because in our modern minds, a talking snake is ridiculous, isn't it? Come on, let's be real. A talking snake? That's myth. That's fairy tale, right? That's stuff you tell your children, but it's not real. How could a reasonable person trust a text that has a talking snake in it? <laughs> You're not, right? Matter of fact, if someone comes up to you and say, oh, yeah, you, 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 know, you go to that church. You know, y'all, you believe in the Bible and you follow Jesus. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. They say, you know, the thing has a talking snake in it, right? You're like, oh, yeah, but I don't know about that part, <laughs> right? You just kind of push that down a little bit. That's the stuff of fairy tales. But to ancient readers, to the people who wrote and read and lived in this world, this was no problem at all, right? This is no problem at all. They would automatically understand that the snake is more than a snake, that what he is is actually representative of something much larger and much more important going on in the story. And we can see this too. If you keep reading, you see in verse 14 of chapter 3, this right here. He says, the Lord God said to the serpent, he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So God curses the snake. But he can't be referring to a literal snake, right? Because... Snakes already crawl in their belly, and they don't eat dirt, right? That's pretty clear. So what we're reading about, again, an ancient reader knows this. We have to dig, so do some digging. What we really, really understand here is that what we're reading in this story is not a snake at all. It's actually a spiritual being. Remember, Eden was a place where heaven and earth overlapped. We have a spiritual being that's inhabiting this place. Man's living in this place. So the spiritual being comes in, and he's in rebellion against God already, and he is trying to ruin God's creation. He wants it for himself chiefly humanity. He's going to just ruin them and say, man, you God, you want them to be a part of this plan? I'm going to make, just toss it all in the trash for you. See how you figure this part out. So, uh, so he does this and we are not who we're created to be. And, and what God does, he says, you know what you're going to do in response? I'm going to cut your legs out from under you and I'm going to make you eat dirt. That's what I'm going to do to you. And so God curses the serpent. What God doesn't do is kill him. But he does this. He says a promise. He says, I promise your destruction is on your way, but I'm going to do it in a way that not only eliminates you, 
but is going to restore humanity to what they were supposed to be before they got messed up. We see this in Genesis 3, verse 15. The very next phrase says this. God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, what in the world is going on here? God's promising a son to come from Eve to finish the job. He's promising a snake crusher that's going to reverse the curse of humanity's choice and is going to restore the world to that perfect Eden state where heaven and earth overlap once again. So what we have here in the story of the snake is a setup for a hero. We need a snake crusher if you have a snake. If you've read any story, any book, anything, and any all time, you know that if you have a bad guy, you've got to have a good guy, right? So this is what the Bible gives us. It says, I will send someone who will crush the snake and restore all things to the way they should have been from the beginning. And the successive stories you find in the Bible are all setting the scene for that hero to arrive. So we're going to look at a few of them. God begins this process, this plan, by calling a man named Abraham out of his home. And he says, I'm going to give you this new land you've never seen. I'm going to bless you with so many kids and descendants. You're going to make up a whole nation. You won't be able to even count them all. And God says, by you, all nations, the whole world is going to be blessed he uses this word blessed here, and what you see when you see the word blessed is the opposite of curse, right? So God curses the snake, and he, he says there's, there's consequences for your bad decision, but through Abraham's family, there's going to be a blessing. There's going to be a reversal of this situation. There's going to be a defeat of the snake. Now, one of those descendants is named Judah, and Judah has a special blessing given to him. It's in Genesis 49.10, where it says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. And so what we have here is we have Abraham, and from him has Judah. And then from Judah, he said, there's a king coming, right? There's a Messiah coming. There's someone who's going to restore all things to the way they were before. And so years pass, and there's no kings. But eventually, a king does show up. And it's called David. And he arrives and he leads, does a great job. King David was an awesome king. He does all this great work. He's leading the people so well. He's making all these good decisions. He's honoring God. He's doing all the things he's supposed to do. And you think maybe this is the one that's going to crush the snake. Maybe this is the one that's going to reverse the curse, right? All the things are pointing to this king here. But then you quickly realize that he's just the same as everybody else. He makes a self-serving decision. He chooses evil over God. And now we're left wondering, what now? What's going to happen? That was the one. That, surely that was the guy. We're waiting for it. But though David fails, God holds true. Matter of fact, he tells David this. In 2 Samuel 7, he says, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And listen to this. I will establish the throne of his, house, of his kingdom forever, forever. And I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So God makes a promise here. He said, David, you messed up, but from you, there's gonna come who's gonna have a kingdom that lasts forever. He's gonna be a son to me. History rolls on. David has lots of kids, lots of kings. None of them are any good, <laughs> or mostly of them aren't anyway. They keep repeating the same mistakes, doubling down on them at times. And before you know it, evil has won. The, his, the, the kingdom has fallen completely apart. Abraham's promise seemingly is done. And it's all just like, what is going on? I thought God had a plan. 
But God reaffirms the plan. He says, I'm not done with this yet. I'm not going to let go of you guys yet. Just because you keep messing up doesn't mean you're going to get off the hook. I'm going to fix this. So he doubles down on the promise. He tells the prophet Isaiah to tell the people this. He says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. In chapter 9, later, years later, he says this, Isaiah would say again, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The King, the Anointed One, the Messiah, God in flesh, right? He says, Mighty God is coming, and he is going to do what no one has been able to do since the very beginning. It says this in Isaiah, Isaiah 11. He says, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Look at this imagery here. I love this picture that it paints. It says, the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion, the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Verse 7 says, the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. It's an interesting phrase. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So what are we seeing? Subduing the snake, right? Restoring Eden, lion and lamb laying together, things at peace, not tearing each other apart, but building up, being restored, bringing heaven and earth together. Now, when we think of someone who comes in this mode, we're thinking, man, this is a king. He's got to, to restore these things. It means he's going to have to be a conqueror, right? He's going to have to beat down the things that are evil in this world. He's going to have to have victory over them, right? And so you're looking for that king who's going to come and conquer, who's going to do all these things. And, and what we get is something completely different because Isaiah's not done. Isaiah says, yes, there's going to be this restoration. There's going to be this, uh, this son born of a virgin. There's going to be this God in flesh figure who's going to do all these things. But there's something different about a king like this. And he says it in chapter 53. He says, this king, this Messiah, is this. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and is one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The long-awaited for Messiah, that king that's promised, that snake crusher, isn't going to be welcomed but rejected. He seemingly won't win. He's going to actually suffer and die. Yet, he gives a promise. Verse 10. He said, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. But it says this, he shall see his offspring. In other words, those who come after him. He, meaning God, shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So what we have here is an interesting thing. We have a king who's supposed to be a conqueror who loses. And then we have this same gun king, the one who's been stricken, the one who dies. And yet, wait a minute, God says, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand, meaning he's going to live again. 
So we have a suffering, rejected king who dies, seemingly loses, does not crush the snake, does not bring Eden back. All these things are done, but yet now he lives again and prosperity follows after him. It's an interesting dilemma we have here. We have this dichotomy that sets in place of we're looking for this really special individual that accomplishes all these things to be that one who's going to restore Eden and crush the snake. We're looking for a king who's going to die, be, de- be defeated, but yet his people are somehow going to be freed, right? That his death would be in place of everybody who had failed and the snake, though seemingly he would win because the, the king died, would then be crushed because the king would rise again. There's a whole bunch of weird things going on up in here, right? But God paints this picture. He says, here is what you're looking for. Here's the one who is coming. Don't be fooled. Get ready. Now, Isaiah ends, and there are prophets after him, but what we have is hundreds, hundreds of years when these words were written until these next words that you find in Matthew. So keep that in mind. We're talking hundreds of years with people saying, man, there's this dude coming. I'm not quite sure what he looks like or what his name is, but he's going to fulfill all these things. And so they're looking for it and waiting for it, but nothing's happening. And finally, you're thinking, man, they got to get ready to give up because hundreds of years is a long time, right? And we read these words in Matthew 1, 1 and 2. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, This is Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Well, interesting here, right? Hold on, let's pick that back up, right? What do we say? He said, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, Judah's going to have a ruler. He said, David is the king, right? That's going to come. And so all these promises are there. And it says, Jesus is from all of those things. He is the son of Abraham, the son of David, of the line of Judah. He is the king that is coming, right? And so our ears should start to pick up on the notes that the story has been playing up to this point. But he keeps going. Matthew 1, 18 through 21, he writes this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. We're getting close to Christmas. We might as well start early, right? When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here we have a man, right? But more than a man, a son of God, right? The Holy Spirit had filled Mary's womb. He's born of a virgin whose purpose is to save people from their sin, all right? So you should start picking this thing up. The pieces start to fall more into place. Like, oh man, the virgin birth that was predicted hundreds of years, all these things are coming in this man called Jesus. So his birth is checking a lot of boxes, but what happens is he grows up. So let's figure that out, right? Because you got to keep looking. You can't just assume, oh, that's great. It's got to be him. Just keep looking. Now, all accounts tells us that Jesus had a fairly normal childhood, right? He grew up as normal kids do. He learned, like all kids hopefully do. He gets left behind on a trip, right? It was like Home Alone before Home Alone existed, right? All normal kid things. He's doing all these normal kid things, right? But as he reaches manhood, things start to take a shift. He gets baptized in the Jordan River by this man named John, and he wanders off into the wilderness, out into the desert for 40 days. And when he comes back, he begins to tell and do things that nobody had ever said or done before. Matthew 4, 23 and 24 says this. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, this whole big country, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, though oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. So Jesus comes back and he begins teaching about this kingdom of God, heaven coming to earth. He begins to show what it looks like. He confronts demons and says, you got to get out of here. You don't belong here anymore. See, heaven is here and we're kicking all that bad stuff out of here. So you got to get away. And then he starts healing sicknesses, all the brokenness and disease that have flipped to the world since that very first bad decision is now being healed in Christ. But there's a lot more that he does than that. He keeps going. Luke 5, 18 through 21, one of these healings, he did something a little bit different. He says, And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of how many people were in this house, right? They went up on the roof. They let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, You're healed. No, that's not what he said. He said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sin but God alone? You see, healing bodies was one thing, but forgiveness of sin, that's God mode, right? That's what that is. Yet here he is doing it, but he doesn't even stop there. While sleeping in, the, in a boat in the middle of his giant lake, there's a storm that blows in. It's just an incredible scene. The people on the boat with him, his followers are freaking out. It's like, oh, we're going to die. And they wake up Jesus because he was just chilling, sleeping. And then he says this, Matthew 8, 26 and 27, he says, Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? And then he rose, and he rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was this great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, who brings order to the chaotic water in the beginning of the story? Now, that's a legit question. You can answer it. Who, bring, who, brings, who brings order to chaos in the very beginning of the story of the, in the Bible? God, who brings order to the chaotic waters here in this moment? God, <laughs> right? Jesus, God. That's the equation we're meant to make. That's what Jesus here is declaring by his actions. He says, I'm not just a man. I am God. While talking to the religious leaders, he would clarify that point in a very radical way that really messed them up. <laughs> John 8, 56 through 59, he says, your father Abraham Rejoice that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? Abraham's been dead for thousands of years. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The leaders that day, they realized what he was saying. He wasn't just saying, yeah, I've existed for a really long time. And that's kind of weird. You might understand that. No, he was saying, I am. God. They picked up stones to throw at him, but he hid himself and went out of the temple. Remember who was I am? We talked about this when we talked about God two, three weeks ago. I am was what? The Lord, right? He was Yahweh. That was his name, the one who existed before existence existed. <laughs> and yet here is Jesus saying, I am. So in all these ways, what Jesus is doing is he was telling them, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm fully God and yet fully man. 
which is an interesting dichotomy, but a necessary one. You see, Jesus was born like a regular person. He grew, he got tired, he got thirsty, he was weak at times, he had moments of anxiety, he grieved over sin and death, as we all do. He faced temptations and choices, but instead of choosing self-service, he chose obedience. John 8, 28 and 29, Jesus said, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you'll know that I'm He and that I do nothing on my own authority. In other words, I'm not choosing my way. I'm not choosing the fruit to choose what is right for myself. He says, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. That obedience as a man tempted yet without sin, that obedience that Jesus exhibited led him to be rejected just as God said he would to suffer as a guilty criminal, even though he was innocent. It led him to take on all evil and all sin, the full bite of the snake on the heel. And while being executed on the cross for a crime he didn't commit with the sign above his head that read King of the Jews, he did this. He cried out twice. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember Isaiah 53. Remember the suffering servant, rejected by God. It was the will of God to crush him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. The servant was dead. It was done. Everyone thought he'd failed. His followers, who was ready for a conquering king, saw a dead, guilty criminal and ran away and hid. The leaders of the day, who wanted to stone him earlier, had won. They washed their hands. They walked away. But just as Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years earlier, it wasn't over. Matthew 28, 1 through 6. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat up. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. But guess what? <laughs> he isn't here. He's not here, for he has risen as he said he would. Through the resurrection, Jesus crushes the snake and takes back the power over evil and death, reversing the curse of that bad decision a long time ago. Matthew 28, 18 says, when he's getting ready to ascend to heaven, Jesus came and said to those who were following him, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth, all right? In heaven where Eden was and on earth where the snake was bound to be dragged around and eating dirt the rest of his days, I have authority over both those places, all of it. He says, now it's been given to me, but guess what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, blessing all nations, just like Abraham was promised, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Who is Jesus? He's the offspring of Eve, the descendant of Abraham, king from the line of David, the suffering servant, the light of the world, the way, 
truth, life, the resurrection, the Messiah, the snake crusher. And for all who follow after him, he's commissioned that same authority that was given to him. He passes to us to confront evil in our lives, our families, and our communities, and to build little Edens in the wilderness until he returns to finish what he started. For seekers this morning, if you're here today and you're not quite sure who Jesus is, or maybe the, the picture that the Bible paints is a little bit different than the one you had in your mind. Maybe you think Jesus to you is someone who makes you feel good or makes uh, you know, everything bad go away, or I don't know what image you maybe have. Maybe just a good teacher, maybe even. Like, man, he said a lot of good things, but he's not God. <laughs> That's ridiculous. And yet today you're confronted with a different reality, with a whole different view of the world that says that Jesus crushes the snake. He makes the right decision to obey that we don't every single day. And the only way to life, new and eternal, is through obedience and following him. The only way we are made new, the only way the snake is crushed in our lives is through Jesus. And so today, we're going to give you an opportunity. You say, what, what, okay, what does this even mean? This means if you want to start in fresh, if you're thinking, man, I've made some bad, messed up decisions in my life. I've made a whole bunch of things where I said, yeah, I think I'm right. And I'm going to do what's best for me and mine and forget everybody else. And you hear today, Jesus did the opposite. <laughs> he said, I'm going to be obedient to the Father and I'm going to do what he wants me to do. And I'm going to die for all of you who've messed up. And I'm not going to wag it in your face and say, ha, 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 I did what you can't. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give you what you want, what you desire, what you need. Heaven on earth. New life and eternal life in me. And so how you respond to that is by simply in prayer. It's by simply saying, I'm done choosing the way I want to live, and I'm going to choose what you tell me to live, Jesus. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a minute. For believers here this morning, we said back to school is an opportunity to get homework, and I don't know if you've, I'm not checking your homework. I'm not your teacher, right, in that respect, so I'm not going to see if you've been doing it from week to week, but I do have one more for you, and it's really easy, really super simple. It's just read and reflect on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. That's all you got to do, all right? So whatever you're happy, if you need to look it up on, a, on, uh, on the internet, you can go on an app, you can look it up on your real physical Bible if you happen to have one, but read and reflect on Colossians 1, 15 through 23 this week. It's describing Jesus about who he is and what he actually does and all these things. So read and reflect on Colossians 1, 15 through 23 this week at some point when you have time to do so, all right? And orient your lives around him and not around yourself. Let's pray this morning as we close. For all of you who have not quite got it, you're like, man, I don't know about this Jesus thing, but today I'm willing to put it all aside and to choose him over myself. That might mean giving up some things. It does. I will go ahead and tell you, it does mean giving up some things. It means giving up just about everything. Because that means you're saying that you're not in control of your life anymore. That you're going to live the way he asks you to live, tells you to live. But in exchange, you get more than just surviving. You get the ability to have this new start, to live empowered with God's Spirit living in you, 
to do things you can never do on your own. And watch as your life begins to be healed. The families around you begin to be healed. The community around us begins to be transformed, not because of our good works, but because of the work of Christ in us. So you respond to that by praying words like these. You say, dear Jesus, first, I'm sorry for choosing my way over your way. As I look back, it has led to nothing but chaos, disorder, death. It's a day I'm done. I don't want to live dying a little bit every day, but I want to live a new life in you as the one who crushes the snake, who gives me freely a fresh start, washes my sins away, gives me eternal life, new and abundant. If that's you today and you prayed a prayer like that, it doesn't have to be those exact words, but something to that effect, I encourage you to find me after or someone in this room. We've got several people who will help you out. Just come to me and I'll point you in the right direction. But don't miss that opportunity today before you leave. For believers and everyone else, I just want us to pray this as we close, though. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that your plans are bigger than ours, that your ways are higher than our ways. And that, God, you saw fit not to leave us in our mess. That even though we make bad decisions day after day after day, Lord, I know I do. God, yet your love still pours out on us. God, your spirit is still given to us for all who believe, who trust and follow after Christ. God, you promised to live with us through to the end of the age, you said. And God, that through you, we can see our lives changed. God, we can see our families in this community changed. God, I pray that we rest in you and you alone. That God, we're not looking to work out all things for our good. God, we're looking to work out things for you. And God, see you make radical changes in our lives. God, to see relationships restored. God, to see bodies healed. God, to see communities that were divided to be brought together, Jesus. God, all these things that are only possible through you, Lord. May we come to you this week and each and every day as we read Colossians, Jesus, and we see that you are preeminent. God, that you are supreme. You are above all things. That, God, we orient our lives around that truth. That, God, is not just something we talk about. It's not just a thing that we kind of refer to now and then. But, God, it is the truth that anchors us in our lives. There is nothing more important than you, God. There is nothing else in this world greater than you, Father. The only way we obtain salvation, the only way we get right is through you, God, through you and your son, Jesus. So God, I pray that we live that this week, God, and that we take it out, that all authority has been given to you, and you pass it to us to say, create heaven on earth where we're at. May, Lord, this week, may we rest in your strength, your power, your purpose in our lives, and may we see heaven on earth in our house, God, at work, God, wherever we are, as you work through us this week, in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Well, thank you so much, church, for being with us online. We've got a little more to go here in person, but online, thank you so much for being with us. Make sure that you share this post, like it, subscribe to our YouTube channel, do all the things, not because I need all the clicks. I just want to make sure somebody gets to see this who might need to hear it. So make sure you're doing that for us this week, and make sure you're following us next week, Sunday, 10 a.m., or Facebook Thursday, 6.30 for prayer. Don't miss out on that opportunity. We'll see you guys next time.